Welcome to the Drawscast Podcast. Inspiration, motivation, and leadership with an attitude. And now, coming to you live from the palatial Drawscast Studios and streaming worldwide, ladies and gentlemen, Draws. Lee Chambers was born in Bolton in the north of England on May 22nd, 1985, and he has always had a curious mindset, which served him well through school and college. He holds a bachelor's degree in international business psychology from Manchester Metropolitan University and a master's degree in environmental psychology from the University of Surrey. Lee lost his ability to walk due to seronegative arthritis in 2014 but has regained his mobility and become medication-free, controlling his chronic disease through nutrition and sleep. He has worked at Bolton Council, the Cooperative Bank, and for Momentum Sports Performance. He created a magazine mail-order business selling Amiga games at age 12 and built his first company, Phenom Games, shortly after. He has always had a deep interest in the field of psychology and how our bodies and minds are integrated. At Essentialize a Workplace Wellbeing, Lee now works with businesses to create wellness policies that can be measured, embedded within organizational processes, and in turn can grow internally. He achieves this by combining physical and mental health training courses, environmental psychology assessments, self-aware leadership training, and staff welfare events. Lee regularly speaks in colleges about the human future of work and the need for cognitive flexibility, emotional fortitude, cultivating creativity, and powerful questioning. Today, he resides in Preston with his wife and two children. He is a coach of a disability football team in England and presents a radio program about health and wellness. Let's bring into the Drawscast Lee Chambers. Okay, so without further ado, let me bring into uh, the Draws cast, Lee Chambers. Lee, how are you today? I'm really good. Thanks for having us on, Jeff. Yes, uh, very excited uh, that we've had a chance to connect. Uh, and for those, and I did mention it a little bit in the introduction, but um, Lee is in uh, the United Kingdom. He is in a city called Preston in the United Kingdom. So just so people know exactly where that's at, uh, where is Preston, say, in relation to uh, Liverpool or or London? Yes, it's quite close to Liverpool and quite away from London. So if you imagine looking out to the UK from the Atlantic coast, uh, Preston is just inland as you're looking across so it's, it's really only a few miles away from Liverpool in the north of the UK. In the north of the UK. And from what our uh, discussions were before, uh, you get a lot of rain there. So kind of like be uh, Seattle in the United States. Yeah, very much so. Okay, okay. And you've lived there your whole life, correct? Uh, yeah, moved around, travelled, but always lived around this area. Were you always a, a smart kid in school? Um, so in some ways, yeah, I was, I was identified as talented. My parents wanted me to be the first person in our family to go to university. And I was probably that child who had lots of potential, but he was just a bit lazy. And 
could have probably done more, but knew he could do enough to just float through school, never really worrying about it too much. You know, I, I hear that a lot uh, from people who have really kind of uh, taken off and, and really grabbed whatever it is that, you know, call it your vocation, call it your professional career. Uh, there are a lot of people that are like that. They, in the early years, they just kind of get by, but at some point, you find that thing that really, that really uh, excites you, right? And then, it, and then you just kind of take off with that. And uh, I don't know if it's because of the, the laziness, as you uh, said, or uh, just that internal motivation that really helps people kind of take off into, say, a different stratosphere than, uh, than just having a job, really wanting to make a difference in the world. But uh, that, yeah, that's something that, that I found. Um, so yeah, and I was the same way, and we've talked about this before, but I am the first person from my uh, family to go to university. Here we call it college, but uh, so we have that in common as well. Uh, so you were impressed, but where did you end up going to university? So I went to university in Manchester, which is about an hour's travel from Preston. So again, far enough away to be at, uni at university, at college, but okay. not so far away that I couldn't get back home easily if I needed to. So what, what uh, distance-wise? Um, give it to me in kilometers. Let's see if we can figure it out. Uh, oh, how, boy, how in kilometers? Manchester to Preston. 60, 70? Not that far at all. 60, 70 kilometers, so about an hour drive. Does that sound yeah. about right? Okay, all right, yeah. My school, uh, Central Michigan University, I was about two and a half hours away. So I was a little bit farther away, but in case of an emergency or in case I wanted to go home for a weekend, uh, I could do that. So uh, so you went uh, to Manchester, uh, and what was your degree in? Uh, international Business Psychology. So that was interesting because I got to do lots of different units. So I got to do a unit of comparative politics, a unit on geopolitics, and then units on business, core business, organizational psychology, and language and communication. So I got a real wide variety of things to dip into and see what resonated and what I didn't enjoy. And I kind of always think that if I'd have gone and done, say, straight business, I'd have probably right. been bored stiff. Right, right, okay. So was there graduate school or uh, did you get like a, a master's degree following that? How, what, what happened after that? Uh, no, I finished university and decided not to pursue any further education at that time. Because I come from a quite, you know, blue collar background. Um, I had to work to pay for my college fees. And that led me to really, at that point, I needed to go and earn a full time salary. So I went and got a graduate job in finance and started working my way to become a financial advisor. But unfortunately, this was in, in 2007, just before the economic crash was about to yeah. bite. So not a good industry to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So did the, did the crash uh, take you in a different direction then? Yes, yeah, certainly. So I was there for six months from the, the end of 2007 into 2008. And I started to see around me, people above me having to pack the desks. All of a sudden I was pulled in, your professional qualifications, we're not willing to pay for them. 
and then a few weeks later I was pulled in and told, unfortunately, leave your job. It's it's not here anymore. And in so many ways, I was like, I, I finished university and, dis- and thought I'm going to set off on this path, become a financial advisor, work with, work with finance and money and figures and help people. Those two things that I really enjoy, statistics and helping. And that was all gone. It was blown out of the water. And then I was like, okay, so I looked around and there wasn't any other jobs. Nobody was recruiting. Everyone was letting go just because of the economic circumstance. And for me, I made me step back and think, well, this isn't going to be the only time in my life that this happens. The, ec- the economy is like the seasons. It's just been summer and now it's very quickly become winter and no one's taking on. So how about I go and build something myself that is built to last through all the seasons? I can't and won't be able to make myself redundant. Or if I do, it'll be from my own actions. And that will give me the freedom, the flexibility and the finance to do my own professional qualifications, pay for them myself, be accountable to me and know that no one will ever be able to take them away from me because I'm in control of it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, So there is, uh, and and as you know, as we've talked about, uh, we uh, here at the Drawscast, uh, we talk about leadership, and I thought it was very interesting how you were able to uh, take what you do and, and kind of apply that into uh, the leadership realm. And part of your degree has to do with environmental psychology. Is is that correct? Or part of what you do is environmental psychology? Yeah, so it's kind of looking at the environments. An environmental psychologist, there's probably three significant pillars. The first one urban environments, how can we make them better for humans, natural environments, how do they interact with humans, how do humans interact with them, and environmental behaviour. Why have you got one person who fears climate change and is scared, one person who doesn't believe it exists, and all other ways of sustainable behaviours and looking, how we can influence humans to behave in certain ways through social norms, values, group theory, and that kind of thing. So my area of focus was looking at workplaces the physical environment so looking at things such as noise lighting ventilation density congruence for the end users and the roles and the social design elements but also looking at the psychological environment so how inclusive a workplace culture is the leadership how do they live with their values how do they communicate those through the organization and how they build a culture which is regenerative to employee well-being, helping people to feel appreciated, helping people to have the autonomy to grow and become leaders themselves. So again, that was, that was a big part of what I studied and in so many ways through my own experience over the years, that's become something that I'm really very passionate about. And I do run a workplace well-being company, but we don't just bring well-being to business. We actually go in there and, and assess what the culture is first so that in so many ways, when I do bring wellbeing programs in, the company is in a perfect place to amplify the benefits and to really take on board. The staff are already feeling valued, feeling engaged. So they engage more with the health awareness stuff. They engage more with the actionable responsibility stuff. And in so many ways, it starts with workplace culture, starts with leadership, 
starts with values and purpose. Yeah. So that's, that's so good. And I don't think that people anywhere in the world, most of the time, or as a general rule, think about the workplace environment and you mentioned the lighting or in a, uh, the uh, radio interview that you did uh, with the BBC, you had mentioned the gardening wall uh, yep. <laughs> with the host. And, and, and she really responded to that positively. But, the, but those are things that create great uh, workplace environments. People feel comfortable uh, at, at work. And, and as a leader, if you can get people to feel comfortable at work, they're probably going to be more productive, right? Oh, definitely. And if you engage your employees in this process, so they participate in the design, they participate in the culture and the values and the building of the purpose of the company, they then become connected. They will be motivated because it's part of their own motive and the environment starts to, you know, it feeds off that. Happy employees come in and bounce off each other, making them even more happy. And again, they become more productive. They're connected to the cause. They become more creative because they're not scared of failure or blame. They, they're suddenly open and honest, and they can start to work towards the potential, knowing that the management or the system will help them to empower themselves further. And again, having that space to do that and a culture that's supportive so vital because you can go and take a bit of a risk to try something new you can be innovative without knowing that you're going to get blamed without knowing that you're going to be shot down because your idea was stupid and again it's the employees that fuel the organization they're the ones operating on that shop floor day after day they have so much data because they're dealing with those things and often that feedback isn't sought Feedback just given the other way to say, you've not done this correctly. Feedback's become something that's negative, yet feedback is amazing data to build sustainable businesses. And again, in so many ways, if we kind of go up to the top, the leadership, the management, leadership's important. And that direction is vital. It's really important that leaders lead themselves first. Find out who you are authentically and lead from that. Lead as you. By doing that, you actually empower other people to also lead themselves. And as we spoke before, in so many ways, to lead is to serve. And ultimately, to serve is to care. And care squared is love. So the secret of leadership is loving people and wanting people to do well. And if you can lead from that place and give people the platform to grow, then they will grow with you. They'll grow with your business. They will grow your business and they will become the growing face of your business to the outside world. And that is what attracts the industry's best talent. It's what attracts other people who want to grow. It attracts people who want to push the boundaries, push the limits, disrupt the status quo and actually make an impact in the world. Yeah, that's really good. And I, 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 I knew we were going to get around to that word and, and you were the first person in all of the uh, podcasts that I've done and all the people that I talked to is, is use the word love. And I thought that was extremely powerful because 
you don't usually equate leadership, uh, especially in larger companies, uh, to a smaller degree or to a different degree in a smaller company where people know each other maybe a little bit more intimately. But uh, to use that word, you know, it, it's very powerful because it's true, right? The more you care about your employees, the more that you're going to get out of them. But uh, there's a large company here uh, in, the, in the Michigan area that just built a brand new headquarters and they move. It was literally right next door to their old one. But the amount of time that they spent getting feedback from the uh, from the employees to put their ideas into uh, into the new building was really something. And it kind of goes to what you're saying about the kind of feedback and the kind of um, investment that uh, that the employees will put back if you as a leader will uh, simply ask for it you know and, and that's that is uh that is really really uh good stuff so um <clears throat> so i see behind you here because we are going to put this on video as well there is uh your company essentialize which is uh functional life coaching uh tell me about essentialize so essentialize is effectively a brand that I created a year ago to launch this business in both the workplace well-being section, but also in the life coaching area to be able to help entrepreneurs and small business owners to connect to their own purpose and their mission, and then connecting to how their business can be, become a vehicle for what they want to achieve in their life. So we run through a process where we get some real clarity on their purpose and mission, what they want to bring, who do they want to become beyond the, here are some goals. Okay, so here are your goals, but why have you got those goals? You dig deeper, you find the root of people's fulfillment, the root of people's happiness. We help them to start to define what does success look like for you, not society's prescription, or even the prescription that you've built from all your previous experiences. Deep down, going beyond the thinking brain so who you truly are down there in your authentic self what is this to you and what mountain do you need to climb to get there what's your journey going to look like so we get them that real focus and clarity and then we help them to form a direction where are you going to go because so many people especially you know business owners they're working really hard they've got the head down they're hustling but it can very easily be hustling to the east when where you want to be is to the West. And the more you hustle and the harder you work, the further away you go from where you want to be. And it's about making sure that they get back to the start point, but they're looking where they want to go and understanding that they can build the business as a vehicle to help them get up that mountain. But it's all interconnected. And then we do work around energy. So we look at sleep, nutrition, movement. As your company becomes bigger, you are a driver of that vehicle. The company gets bigger, the vehicle gets bigger. Your physical and mental health is absolutely pivotal because the bigger your vehicle, the more damage you'll cause if your health's not right. And at the end of the day, your biggest asset is not that vehicle, it's you. It's your physical and mental health. Without that, your business, nothing. So it's absolutely vital and helping them really connect into that it's so easy to work all the hours on your business and never spend any time for you. And then we go into the psychological stuff. So we look at what's happened to them in the past, how they perceive failure, 
limits that they might have put on themselves, beliefs that are holding them back, habits that are not serving them. We start to look in a lot of ways, how can we start to build things in that are getting you towards your goal, give you that momentum on your travels, actually align with what you want to do. We're starting to look around mindset and resilience and how we can build those things to really give you the fuel to push you in that direction so that when those obstacles on your journey come, you can get over them, you can smash through them, you can make the sacrifices you need to to get where you want to be and know that it's for the right reason. You can make sure that your priorities are aligned with what you want to do. And more so, you can start to train yourself to ignore the voices in your head that are telling you that you're not enough because all the answers are inside of you. We all have what we need inside of us to become who we want to be. And from then, we then plan, look at the future, get them that 10-year vision, that massive statue that they want to be, help them smash it into thousands of pieces. Little bits that they can do every single day makes it manageable. You bring it all the way back so that it's actionable. Some days you'll do a few, stick a few bits together. Some days you won't do any. You still feel like you're making that progress. You will wake up in the morning knowing your mission, knowing where you're going, knowing why you're jumping out of bed, what you're going to go and do. And when you've got that along with the energy, the clarity, the mental capacity to start moving through these things, you can go and make the impact that you want with such power. Just unbelievable. Wow. So uh, two things, and, and they kind of, that, that really speak out to what you're saying. One goes back a little bit, but it kind of connects with what you're saying here. One is, is when you uh, get together with the company, you, you just don't have forms. You just don't have ideas that you share with them. You actually go into their workplace and, and evaluate uh, everything. And the, the feeling that I get with what you're saying is it's almost like a holistic uh, kind of view at, at the company and, and looking at the company and its totality and how you can work on things and improve things in every facet, including your people uh, it, to be successful. Is that a good way to, to kind of explain it or define it? Yeah. So it's looking at the whole picture and obviously yeah. incorporates quite a lot of science but the reality is when you step back, it's not all science. In a business, it's application, it's action. And actually, you would go into many businesses and you couldn't sell them spirituality. You wouldn't buy it. <laughs> and yet, when you go into business and start to sprinkle some of that inside, it resonates with people because we have got a mind, we have got a body, we have got spirits, and they're all interconnected. And when we're in a workplace, those are mingling with other people's and it's all like a massive ecosystem. And you've got to have that acuity for that because you, within a company, you're surrounded by other people. You're communicating, you're connecting, you're collaborating yeah. together, you're building teams, you're doing things. It's part of the human experience. And in so many ways, I, I have that kind of, that wider view because I feel that in society, we so often try to isolate things, get down to one thing that we need to improve, that one measure. Yeah. Got so focused on trying to improve that, that we ignore everything else. And as to say, just think, big pharma, they do it perfectly. Here's the one pill that's going to solve this one symptom 
but it's got to turn side effects because everything's interconnected and everything else is then knocked out when you're trying to fix one thing. Yeah, that is, that, you got a great way to look at it. And yes, no question about it. Uh, in today's uh, world, in order, many people think in order to be successful, there's, you got to find a niche. You got to find one thing. You got to find that magic pill for that one thing, like you mentioned. And, um, and it, while you, you know, you have your niche, uh, it looks at many other things besides that one thing. So to put it in big pharma way, you would be, uh, taking a lot of pills (laughs) in order to fix the problem. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really relevant because to market effectively, you need to know who you're targeting. So you do need to, in some ways have that niche. But at the same time, don't just look at the niche. <laughs> look at everything else. Yeah. So you go in there initially to solve what might be one particular issue. But you go in there and say, I'm going to analyze this. I'm going to experiment. I'm not just going to come and say, this is how we fix it. Let's fix it. Goodbye. I'm going to come in there and say, this is what you say needs fixing. I'm going to look at everything. Let's see what else we can get better. Let's see, look at the bigger picture. And that's absolutely vital. Human beings are really interconnected and we should look at things in an interconnected way. And again, that kind of individualistic, isolated attitude where we have that tunnel vision. We go in on the one problem. And as human beings, we are a bit wired like that. We live in an amazing world and yet we're still going to go out and find the one little negative thing that's not been good. And really focus in on that. And that yeah. negative bias is, in some ways, our brains are a bit like Velcro for negativity and we design like that because in so many ways that is how we stayed alive in a world that was incredibly dangerous. And yet today's world isn't incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly safe. And still that positivity doesn't stick on our brain. It's like Teflon just drops straight off or anything negative yet slap on it sticks to our brain and you've got to train yourself a little bit to start to reverse that. And if you spend all your time on social media, reading news, oh. your brain's going to be full of negative stuff. Because oh, that's so true. Like, oh. Twitter is, uh, you know, for me, there's so much negativity uh, on, on just about everything that, that you see on Twitter, but, you know, on other social media too. But I've, I've been really kind of focusing on the Twitter part right now just to kind of see people's feedback. And there's really, there's not a lot of positivity uh, out in the Twitter world. Uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Twitter doesn't uh, sponsor you, does it? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd cut that out if that was the case. But uh, yeah, so, so true. And ultimately what we're trying to do and what, what we're trying to do is, is uh, help leaders understand uh, that you can serve your employees by these things that you're talking about applying in a, in a very holistic manner. So uh, that's really good stuff. Uh, I appreciate you sharing all that. So, uh, and we talked earlier too about your journey. And one of the things that happened to you, uh, and I believe it was as a younger person, you lost the uh, use of your legs, is that correct? Yeah, so it was in 2014 and I became unwell. 
So to kind of put a bit of a bit of background in, in 2013, it was a really busy year. I'd got married, my son was born, and we bought our first house, me and my wife and my son. And we traveled, traveled out to America and then cruised around the Caribbean. So from a societal point of view, life looked, you know, rosy and happy. Um, and I just turned 29 um, and I was thinking, what am I going to do before I'm 30? Is there anything interesting I'm going to do before I need to be sensible? Because my age starts with a three. And uh, most people have been there. Uh, but all of a sudden, over the course of five days, my body started attacking my joints. So my immune system went berserk and it plus was my wrist and then my knee and then my shoulder and then my other knee to the point where they locked in place and I was in hospital. And it was a really difficult time. My wife was six months pregnant with our daughter and I was suddenly went from being, you know, fully independent, fully mobile to lying in hospital bed, not able to shower, not able to eat and just wondering what life was going to, uh, going to be like going forward. And obviously initially the shock was just like, whoa, I, I don't even know what's happening. And they were testing me and, and trying to work out why my immune system was attacking certain tissues in my joints. Um, and then after that shot wore off, I had the negative emotions. You know, I was, I was frustrated. I had a bit of despair. I was like, this doesn't seem fair. I, I'm in good health. I've looked after myself. And all of a sudden, yeah, I've been wiped out and I'm not sure what's going to happen. And then after that came the really came the grief. So I was like, you know, I'm a young man. I'm physical. I play sport. I'm athletic. And all of a sudden, like, I'm looking at my legs thinking they don't really move properly. Like, what, what's, what's life going to hold for me going forward? I, I don't really know what's happening, but I'm grieving now a bit for my, uh, a bit for my physicality. Um, and you get a lot of time to reflect when you can't move and you're lying in hospital. Um, and it gives you just a lot of time to just look at the world and think, what's actually happening. And on the second week, I, I started to let those negative emotions go. And I knew it was important to let them go, not to bottle them up because they'll come and give you psychological issues later on if you just try and bottle them up. Um, but it suddenly occurred to me just one day lying there thinking about life and wondering what it was like going forward. And this thought just hit me and it really just switched my mindset around uh, but the thought was, it flew into my head, not been grateful for walking, ever. Been on this planet 29 years, never once been grateful. And then it just kind of hit me like, whoa, no gratitude. <laughs> and then I thought yeah. about the people who were coming to help me in hospital, the people who were looking after me, helping me do basic things. Had I been grateful enough for them? No, not really. Um, and then even looked even further, it just kept expanding. And I was like, you know what? I've grown up in the UK. I've had free education. Never been hungry. Never been homeless. I've had the opportunity to start a business, to work in different industries. I'm now getting healthcare. That's some of the best in the world to try and get me back on my feet. Why should I be ungrateful? Imagine if I was an orphan on the other side of the world where there's no facilities, no one to look after me. What would my outcomes be like? You need to actually be grateful because everything is in your favor here. And that just switched me around and I suddenly thought then, okay, so I've got this disease. I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. But you know what? I'm going to attack it as much as it's attacking me. I'm going to take ownership over my recovery. I'm going to be accountable to myself. It's going to be a difficult journey, but I'm prepared. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to do everything I can to get back on my feet. And I got out of hospital 
I was going to my appointments and I was pushing those boundaries. I wasn't putting limits on myself. I was being sensible, but I was really pushing to recover and get back on my feet. My daughter was born and I just saw the reality. She was going to be walking soon. I'm going to be walking with her. And that power of why really anchored me in those mornings when it, I was in agony, those mornings when I was stiff and sore, those mornings when I didn't want to do it. I decided I wasn't going to do what I felt like I was going to do who I wanted to become. And that was me running around the garden with my children. So that got me up. That became my purpose and mission. And I was proactive. I kept going. I knew that some days weren't going to be good. I had some issues with my vertebrae that put me back a few months in my recovery. It was hard, but I'd hardened that shell. I'd suddenly become mentally strong, mentally and almost it almost fueled me even more i was even more determined when they were like you're having problems i started to see every problem as a challenge to be overcome a challenge to prove myself and in so many ways what once was suffering and once was a threat actually became my fuel to push on further the more my box got kicked the stronger it got and i was pushing on and in so many ways that after 11 months, I walked a mile unaided and I knew then I was going to be able to get back on my feet properly, recover where the limits were. I wasn't going to put limits on myself. I was going to keep pushing, keep pushing to the point now where I've pushed so hard that I've been able to come off medication and control my disease by lifestyle alone. Awesome. So... Where, where do you stand right now? Uh, no pun intended there as far as your legs. Uh, are you able to, to get around now? So, yeah, I can walk for a good five or six miles now. Um, I can't run very well, but, again, that uh, doesn't really matter in the, in the big scheme of things. I'm not running away from predators, so I'm right. fairly safe here in the UK. Um, but I do play a bit of disability football. I coach a team. And I've also started doing a bit of boxing simply because my feet and my hands were a bit out of sync after relearning. And I went to my consultant and she said, well, you can go dancing. And I was like, I don't want to go dancing. It's <laughs> so like, what else can I do that moves your hands and your feet at the same time? She's like, no boxing. Ah, oh, so it's much more. That's right on my street. I'll go, I'll go down to the local boxing club. So that's helped me get even, even better coordination between my hands and my feet. But in so many ways, I control this disease. I'm really mobile. I'm actually quite well in myself. And that's great because when I get up and speak, people can really resonate with the fact that it wasn't that long ago that I wouldn't have been standing there speaking. No, and absolutely. Yeah, I thought that this was something that happened to, you know, to, to a younger Lee Chambers. But this is something that's happened within the last five or six years, which, you know, you've made incredible progress. I understand that uh, you are writing a book and it's going to be out in November. Uh, do you address uh, your situation with your autoimmune uh, disease in the book uh, or is it strictly a professional book? Tell us about it. Tell us the title and all that good stuff. Yeah. So the title is how to conquer anything. And in many ways, it's my own journey and some things I've unpacked on here and in other places around my struggles with my mental health and defining my masculinity when I was younger, around the redundancy and the challenges of navigating the business world as a young black male, 
and then looking at my issues around my health and my recovery, but then tying that into how we can take actionable steps to start to conquer things like fear, anxiety, law moods, and looking at other things like perfectionism and procrastination. So we look at the science behind why those occur, how society propagates those, but how we can take small steps to start to pull ourselves back from these and actually start to conquer them, start to move forward. And it explores lots of different little areas of things that everyday people struggle with, such as digital addiction and confidence. And just look how we can kind of conquer these while cultivating the opposites and the positives. So having more courage so we have less fear and knowing how to frame stress so we have less anxiety. And just, it's a, it's a bunch of digestible, actionable tools. Threading into my own little story of things that I've lived, things that I've learned, things I've experienced, but then ways that you can take that and try things for yourself. Because again, we all have our own authentic expression of these things. And we all have our own experience. And it's really good to have tools that we can really test on ourselves, see if they work for us. But also look at ways we can change this so it resonates with us a little bit more. And again, humans are amazing creatures. We've evolved to the point of being almost, you know, we saw, we saw complex that we're almost in a position where we destroy ourselves because we've got that level of evolutionary wiring. Um, But we can utilize that power and we've all got amazing power within us. All got so much to give all got gifts and it's just conquering some of the things that hold us back that that allow us to shine brighter and make more of an impact more of a difference and leave a legacy that is worthy of you yeah we've all got a book in us um and now that i have authored a couple of books myself the first one was uh it delved into a lot of uh professional uh, ideas but uh, there was a lot of my personal story in there too. And, uh, you know, I had heard before I started writing my book that everybody's got a book in them because everybody's got a life story. And I believe that now, you know, more than ever. So you've got a lot to offer. You've probably got a couple of books in you for sure <laughs> for, for everything that uh, that's gone on with you and, and what not. So that's exciting. I'm going to give you a chance to uh, give out your contact information here shortly. But uh, as I do at the end of every one of my podcasts, I do a little lightning round of quick questions that uh, just so people can understand uh, you a little bit. They're super simple questions. I'm not going to ask anything uh, too personal, but uh, I'm going to ask you for today. Okay. So your my, my first question to you is, uh, does Lee Chambers like to cook? Lee Chambers likes to cook if he's in the mood. Okay. So uh, you're, not, uh, you're not the main cook uh, at your house. So um, We probably share. We do. Okay. I probably cook more, actually. Okay. And uh, what's your favorite, and this is interesting being on the other side of the pond, so to speak, but what's your favorite food? Ooh. Uh, I'm a sucker for some pizza. Pizza, sweet. Pizza's probably different over there too. Um, yeah. What, 
What is a uh, an English uh, or European pizza like? Is the crust thick, thin? What's a typical topping? Uh, go ahead. Oh, it's um, there's massive variance. Uh, if you go to Italy, it tastes so much better than here in the UK. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're, we're looking at we're looking at thin bases, fresh tomato, cheese, and then go wild with whatever you want to put on it. I like to I like to go a bit wild and put some meat on it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, having spent a lot of years in the pizza business here in the States, uh, it's, it's interesting to, uh, to hear you say pizza. It's such a, such a fun food, and it's such a, an international food. But, yeah, I'm sure the pizza in Italy is uh, significantly better uh, yeah. than uh, – Okay, so next question. Uh, is fish and chips – well, it's actually a two-part question. Are fish and chips really like the, the national dish of England, one? And two, is it all it's cracked up to be? Um, is it a national dish? It was. It's ever so slightly less so as we become more cosmopolitan. and We yeah. start to take more things from Europe and more things from the rest of the world. And I think that's really pushed on in the last 15 years. Is it all it's cracked up to be? Got to find the right one. Sure, sure. Uh, are the uh, small pubs uh, that have fish and chips, are those generally better? Yeah, I don't know. Is there a fish and chip chain in England? Um, there are chains, but honestly, the best places to go are usually the local chippies. Yeah. So they're a shop. It's all they do, and they become very skilled at it, and they generally get it right most times. Okay, okay. Uh, is uh, beer uh, a, a popular drink in England? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a popular drink, but people have their own personal choices, don't they? And at British beer, it's interesting. There's, there's lots of different variations, and what's happening is now the more, the more microbrewery, the smaller local stuff is becoming more and more popular as people don't want the big international brood, they want something a bit more interesting, even if it's a bit more interesting to hold. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Uh, the microbrew phenomena came to the States uh, probably 10 years ago, but they are all over the place now. And, and the, the typical Budweiser or Miller or something that's a – you know, generic beer here in the States, there's a lot less of it. There's so much more in the way of of, of local and uh, state breweries. It, it really is amazing. So, all right. So last question for you. Uh, what do you want to have on your tombstone when your time on earth is over? Uh, I wanted to say Lee Chambers, he left the world a healthier and happier place than when he came into it. You know what? Mine, very similar. That uh, that really is something. So we do share a lot of uh, uh, you know a lot of ideas as far as life and and work and all these things that we've talked about. So uh, now, is your book going to be? Or do you have a major publisher? Are you self-publishing? How is that going to work? Um, it's self-publishing through a small publisher, so mm -hmm. it will be available on Amazon and other bookstores in across the UK. Uh, but probably the, the main place it's going to be is on Amazon. Yeah. 
Yeah, Amazon, uh, you can do everything through Amazon now if you haven't looked that far into it. You can even get your, you know, do all the publishing and all that stuff. Uh, so it's it's not that expensive to self-publish. So if people out there uh, that are interested, you can get a hold of Lee or myself and we can kind of talk you through uh, the process there. So uh, how do people get a hold of you, uh, Lee? So you can visit one of my two websites. I'm on leechambers.org and essentialize.co.uk. And you can also find me across the numerous socials at Essentialized Coach on Instagram. Yes, and just uh, so people understand, the spelling's a touch different uh, just because of the, the way that they spell a few things different. So that's Essentialized with an S. Uh, rather rather than a Z. Yep, I can see it on the screen there. And and for those who are going to end up watching this on, on YouTube, they'll be able to see that as well. So this has been great. Uh, thanks uh, so much for being on the Draws cast. And uh, for those of you out there who are regular watchers and listeners, don't forget about uh, my website, drawstalks.com. And um, my books are available there and if you go onto my website and buy the books then I will send you a signed copy and uh, I will also let you know when uh, Lee's book is available when it comes out in November so uh, also get in touch with me to uh, book me either virtually or live once we get through the pandemic uh, to talk about servant leadership uh, at a company or organization so take care bye for now you have been listening to the Drawscast podcast. Inspiration, motivation, and leadership with an attitude. Be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and head over to his YouTube channel, The Draws, and do the same. Want more? Go to drawstalks.com for more great information and to find out how to book draws for your next event. And Check out Draws' latest book, Leadership, One Golden Nugget at a Time. Tune in next time for more of the Draws Cast Podcast. Podcast.